The pandemic has kept us at home a lot. <laughs> and that's forced us to live the lives we have rather than maybe pursuing the lives that we want. But if you're ready to start thinking about what might come next, The Bittersweet Life is the perfect podcast to get you started. It is a really warm and funny show hosted and produced by Katie Sewell, a public radio veteran. She and I worked together for years. Her co-host is Tiffany Parks, a writer and tour guide who's lived in Rome for the last 16 years. And the show tackles big questions like, is it too late to pursue my dream of living abroad? Or how can I experience more wonder? The show is really great company. It talks candidly about life and travel and art. And one final thing, the entire first season of The Bittersweet Life takes place in Rome. So if you are really ready to do some traveling, at least in your mind, start at the beginning. Start with season one. It's The Bittersweet Life. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. This is Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace. A podcast that knows, yes, your workplace is sexist, but we've got tactics to help change that. I'm Jeannie Yandel. I'm Eula Scott Bino. Help us make this show happen, y'all. So become a patron at patreon.com slash btsw. Hi, everybody. Happy 2022. Isn't that weird? still basically feels like 2020. Anyway, we wanted to bring you this bonus episode that we recorded in the before times. Jeez, the before times. When we talked with two of our favorite people who also happen to be white, cisgender, straight gentlemen. Their names are Luke Burbank and Andrew Walsh. They are the co-hosts of the podcast TBTL, Too Beautiful to Live. Luke is also the host of the public radio show Live Wire. Oh, Andrew also co-hosts two other podcasts, Spotless and After These Messages, which is a podcast about old commercials. I love it a lot. Anyway, Eula and I wanted to talk with Andrew and Luke because of a lot of the research that we had seen about what it takes to get people in workplaces to really think about and take seriously issues of racial bias, gender bias, pay gaps, promotion gaps, stuff like that. One of the key indicators as to whether a workplace will change their culture in order to deal with some of these issues is whether white cisgender men are talking openly about them as real issues. You can't see me, but I'm shrugging and making that sort of uh, grimace face emoji that you so often see. So that's why we wanted to talk with Luke and Andrew. When I listened back to this episode that we recorded, again, in the before times, I was really struck at how relevant a lot of what we talked about um, still is. Luke Burbank, Andrew Walsh, 
You are the co-hosts of the podcast TBTL, which we both love. Also, if we're completely honest, you are the first straight cisgender white dudes we thought of when we realized we wanted to talk to we two straight some. cisgender white dudes. We have two and they're friends of ours. <laughs> yeah. So thank you both for coming in today, for being our like diversity guests. Absolutely. I was going to say, I've been sending you guys a lot of notes saying that like I like your show, but it does seem to be lacking white, straight, middle-aged yeah. guys. So yeah. I'm glad we can just correct that. When's right our now. parade? Yeah, right. Is the... No, it's it's really an honor as a fan of the show, but I have to say, I it's very rare that I am nervous about doing an interview, but the idea that in any way anything we say is supposed to be the model for like how you be in the world as a dude feels like a ton of pressure. Uh, yeah. Because I know whatever we say, it's going to leave something out. Yeah. That's well, that's actually where I, we were going to start, actually. So yes. do you ever feel like you're the spokesperson for all straight white dudes? <laughs> you said that you don't want to be. Do you ever feel like it? Like if we're talking like the stereotypes that come your way, like, Luke, you're, you're on radio and TV. You know, what do you think specifically? You know, that doesn't happen to straight white guys very much, right? Which is the difference of being, I think, a straight white guy than maybe somebody else is if... I was doing an interview for my TV job with Mindy Kaling, and she was saying how something that was really challenging for her when she started out was if she had an off day writing, it was a reflection on all Indian women. Yeah. And that the writers she worked with, the dudes, were just having an off day. So one of the great things about the privilege of being a white guy is that, no, no one ever asked me to speak for white dudes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. To be honest with you, I think that Andrew and I uh, at times feel like this is going to sound like I'm really trying to uh, establish kind of how woke I am or whatever. But like, I mean, there are so many historically dudes like us that are the ones talking into the microphones that it's almost sometimes it's like, should we just try to step out of the way completely mm. and, you know, make try to make room like is our very presence of doing this show or me all these various gigs I have like is, is my very presence in that just reinforcing something? You know what I mean? But then that also feels kind of like self-immolation, like am I not allowed to be a radio host? And I don't say allowed like someone else is even telling me that, but just kind of like it's a it's a challenge to try to figure out how to be in the world where your kind of person, white guy, has just been in charge for so long and how do you make room for everybody else but still have maybe some part of it you know yeah. what i mean that's still yours because yeah. you deserve a part you're you're just as human as the rest of us allegedly i think <laughs> I'm that's our you. understanding of things anyway yeah. mm -hmm. so i mean that actually leads really nicely into where we wanted to go next which is like when did you realize that that was a conundrum right that like that your your presence on the mic which matches historically with who got to be on the mic that that was even an issue, right? Like, you haven't always known that, have you? No, I was actually very defensive about a lot of this stuff for a long time because it felt to me, like, for a long time, my thought was, I didn't do anything. Yeah. Like, I just got born and then wanted to Same. be on the radio or whatever, and, like, I'm not actively trying to keep anybody down. But I think as the conversation in this country, at least depending on what conversations you're listening to, as it as it really started to talk about like institutional racism yeah. and institutional sexism and the way like I always thought because I grew up, you know, pretty hard scrabble in Seattle and stuff like that. And so I always kind of had this thought in my mind, like I earned every bit of this. Mm. And anybody who thinks I had it easy just because I'm a white guy, they don't know the Luke Burbank story. <laughs> um, but which is going to be the name of my autobiography. They don't know the Luke Burbank story. But as, as Colin, I, the Luke Burbank story. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think I think after hearing it enough through various places about the ways that like 
We didn't all start from the same spot. And this country has been set up so as to help some people win and other people not win. Mm -hmm. I think as I started to realize that, I started to think more and more about how like, yeah, I'm I'm here, I think, because I have some maybe natural talent. But I'll tell you, I used to work at this radio station Mm -hmm. and I was a nightmare (laughs) as an intern, Mm -hmm. as a young cub producer, I said things and did things that if I were a woman of color yeah. or a woman Period. or a person of color, I they would have been like, this guy's problematic, but yeah. it did not threaten everybody nearly as much because I looked like a lot of the other people. And so instead of them going, we need to like start documenting what Luke is doing, they were <laughs> like, hey, you want to be on the radio? <laughs> so I guess when at some point that started to click for me, yeah. it made it easier for me to not be defensive about it and see it as like, this is someone coming for me. And this is me being like, let me just realize where I fit into this story. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. And I'm obviously not all the way there yet. I still have moments where sometimes I'm like, why are you coming after me? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the, I'm, I'm doing it less than I used to. So I don't know that, that feels better. Yeah. Huh. I'm having a non-poker face moment because I used to work with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do tell. Uh, Pregnant ellipse, Andrew. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> Have you always known this as well, or when when did you realize it? No, I don't think I necessarily had as much built-in defensiveness. But I mean, I also grew up in a you know conservative family in a conservative part of the country. I mean, I remember in high school, I had friends who um, you know called themselves feminists, and that was a hard eye roll from me. And I'm so embarrassed about that now. I don't go around calling Wait, myself. Why was it a, an fe- eye roll? What did you think it because meant? Because I grew up in a culture where I mean, Rush Limbaugh was on the radio. They were called feminazis this idea of just like what it it is all equal what do you guys like you just always got to fight for some like you know like I was dismissive and not not the person that I want to be today you know and so I'm not trying to pat myself on the back for the journey that I've taken but that was kind of my origin story and I do think that over time I mean uh, in a certain way, I think the woman who I'm in a relationship with, we've been together for 18 years. I think she's had a huge impact on me. I think I was maybe a little bit short-sighted on things before we got together. But also all the conversation that's happening in in the culture now, thinking about diversity in the workplace um, is something that I think about so much more now than I would have even five years ago, yeah. I think. So, you know. God knows what I'll be saying five years from now. I yeah. might hate this, Andrew, five years from now. I don't oh, know. Oh, I bet you will. Oh, yeah. But not even for things related <laughs> yeah, no. to race or gender. Just no, because just because that's your personality. Just for being nervous being on the radio. But um, we're on the radio, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the best thing that I think I can do now is, and I, I, I don't want to be like a walking Instagram post, but like I honestly do believe that the biggest lesson is just like honestly to listen. And that's what I try to do more mm-hmm. and more of, especially when I compare myself to a guy who is like, so embarrassingly dismissive of other people's experiences mm-hmm. and wield your power yeah do that part too well that's that's something too um i know that when i got an email from you guys asking to be on the show it sounded like the idea might be to look at the idea of like, like allyship and I, I i did kind of cringe at that a little bit not in the way i, I rolled my eyes back in in the day <laughs> of, of feminism but like that to me has a, almost a built-in um activeness that I don't think that I do participate in and so that I would be shy to call myself an ally and I don't because it almost sounds self-congratulatory a little bit I think that I just live my life and I'm just trying not to be a jerk you know like what's the difference between being an ally and not being a jerk face and I don't know I'm just trying not to be a jerk face I think but maybe I could do more to wield 
yeah. what I've been given. Yeah. I'm scrolling through my phone trying to find this text that I sent my wife. It was from The Onion on Twitter. <laughs> and it was, it was, man can't help but think he played small part in female co-worker success by not actively sabotaging her career. Damn. <laughs> Which is like, you know, I, I, th- I think that that's probably, as my therapist would say, a growing edge for me too. I think that probably the the beginning of the journey might be, in my case, being kind of defensive and just feeling like, like, like I did whatever has gone right for me, like job wise and stuff. I did that, and I deserve to be proud of that. And then kind of moving into a place where I'm like, you know, uh, I need to, I need to sort of listen more and be more open to hearing other people's experiences. And but that's still not even really being active. Like I'm just kind of being less defensive now. Yeah. So like then the next phase is not being the guy from that onion article. Yeah. Who's just like <laughs> not actively sabotaging people, but in fact is actually proactively looking at opportunities to help people. And honestly, that's that's uh, that's somewhere that I still have to get to. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, so we talked about that idea of you rolling your eyes at the word feminist. I mean, honestly, I can remember doing that as well mm-hmm. like you know is yeah, is like a middle schooler <laughs> at a catholic school the word feminist was not a word that we embraced mm-hmm. um but i wonder if you had a similar experience with the term white privilege mm-hmm. you know when that first started being thrown around you're nodding luke what did what was that like well again i think that that just was to me again felt very i think what it felt like is it was dismissing like my experience, yeah. like, oh, white privilege means I just got everything super easy because I'm a white guy. Mm-hmm. And of, that's not what it means at all, obviously. Right. But I think when I initially heard it, I think it was like, a, and this was like shockingly recent, you know, like that term hasn't been in the wider right. culture for very long. So you yeah. can do the math. And it, totally. and, it got, and it got to Seattle first. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, I think, I think initially probably like a lot of these things, and this goes for so many things that the first time I hear about them, a lot of times I'm just like, oh, really? Yeah. And then it's like just has to marinate for a totally. little while. And then it's just like, oh, well, that's actually a good point. Yeah. And then it just becomes and it's like what this is maybe a little to the side. And I apologize that I'm being so like I was nervous to talk about it. And now I'm nervous to shut up, <laughs> um, which will be that's my second thing. book. That's a good guess. Nervous <laughs> to shut up. More of the Luke Burbank story. But like. For the radio show that I do, Livewire, we have a lot of guests on who uh, use the pronoun they, them. Mm -hmm. And I was, like, really stressed about that at first because I was like, it's grammatically weird and, like, I'm going to say the wrong thing. And part of it was I thought that the person was going to be mad at me. Mm -hmm. Like, if I messed, like, I had rehearsed a whole argument in my mind with these guests. Like, I'm sorry I got your pronoun wrong, Mm -hmm. angry (laughs) non-binary person. Mm -hmm. And, And then what happened was we would have folks on the show. They would be lovely. Yeah. We would talk before the show and, and establish what pronoun that they were using. I would do my best to use it, I think mostly successfully. And then it was like fine. And then it became such a non-thing that it it actually became a thing where I now find myself not using pronouns a lot around people that don't use they pronouns. Yeah. Because it's just easier and because it turns out, as you would learn listening to your podcast, it's often not relevant yes. to the person you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So it's like all this stuff for me, it's almost always threatening and seems weird. And then eventually it's like, oh, yeah, why weren't we always doing that? Mm-hmm. For, I mean, I don't I don't experience white privilege, but I have a friend one time. Uh, my friend Deanna was doing my hair and was explaining to me how, you know, just looking at 
uh, Destiny's Child. I hate how much Beyonce comes up in my life, but she's a huge, <laughs> I she's love a it. huge marker for real. <laughs> but with Destiny's Child, just how uh, Kelly's career is like nowhere near Beyonce's, where Kelly can sing just as well and was literally like right there the whole time, like, like right next to her. And the first time I heard it, I was kind of like taking it in really slowly and having a, you know my own thoughts of like Beyonce is a really great dancer and like a really great singer and like a really great things that I don't know that she does that have made me like her more and then it took me a while but I then I started having to speak up more about my own privilege and my skin tone because I had to realize like okay cool so then so if that happens with Beyonce and Kelly cool that has to happen with me what places do I go where I never see somebody who's like Kelly dark mm-hmm. you know what I mean okay cool what can I can I do anything as a black one probably not but I can think about it and talk about it you know all those things so I'm kind of still in the just talking about it and thinking about it stage so yeah mm-hmm. Andrew what about you what was the question? Oh yeah, that was like that was like twenty minutes ago. Um, <laughs> was it about yeah. white privilege? How yeah, I, I mean, do you it? remember what you thought when that term first started? I appearing? honestly think I was pretty. Sorry, I talked over you. I honestly think I was pretty old or well in, well advanced in my thinking by the time I heard that. So I don't think I was super threatened by it. Uh, but it is a good way of thinking about things. And also, it's not just. Oh man, I'm going to go on a tangent here. Let's hope it pays off. Um, <laughs> it's not just white Your privilege point. either. There's all kinds of privilege out there that I think a lot of people don't see. Um, there is a person who I know who's really successful in her job, and she's a public figure, and she worked for it, man. She grew up really poor in a very rural area with uh, all kinds of family issues. Like She worked for it. Mm-hmm. She's a bootstrap story, no doubt about it. Because of her own personal experience, I've seen her um, give her opinion in, in social media and things about how if you say something like, hey, I'm lucky because I have a roof over my head, she feels like, no, that's not luck. Like, no. I pulled myself up from literally nothing, and, uh, you know, I'm not lucky to have a roof over my head. I'm somebody who worked for the roof over my head. And I'm like, but there's always some kind of luck. You're lucky that your brain doesn't have a chemical that shoots out that makes you say bad things in the middle of the supermarket. You're lucky that you don't struggle from addiction yourself. You're lucky that you have all your arms and legs. Whatever it is, she has been lucky in some places in her life that she could get to the position that she is. That doesn't take away her accomplishments. And I think that that is what is really tough to try to communicate. And I've never talked to this person about it. It wouldn't be my place to. We're not that close. But by saying that we are lucky or blessed or privileged in any of those ways, it doesn't take away from what we've accomplished ourselves either. And mm-hmm. that's something that I have trouble communicating to people. Mm-hmm. So what's it like to be around white dudes who still just don't like want to even try or don't see the mm-hmm. benefit in it? Do you try those conversations with white dudes in your life? Not. I'm not great at that. I think that well, it's tough for everybody, right? I mean, there are you got to choose your moments too, and I don't want to be an apologist for this, but maybe it is growing up in a around conservative people and knowing that if you don't pick your moments right away, you can come off in a certain way that seems hectoring, and then you lose your ability to communicate with that person, maybe plant the seeds of ideas. Right. Um, But like, for example, we have a a friend, a close friend of ours who says uh, female all the time instead of woman. Mm -hmm. Not all the time, but I just started noticing it. Just be like, hey. Are you talking about a woman or are you talking about a bull? (laughs) Right, yeah, yeah. Female is an adjective, you know, not not a noun. And so like, oh yeah, we met some females and, you know, or or something. Not, I mean, that's not true. It wasn't like we met some Every time you say female, I'm going to guess what we're talking about. What kind of animal? Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I'm going to stop now. saying it now. <laughs> and I got to say, at one point, I was actually hanging out. I was with my partner at the time, Genevieve, and she called him out on it in a way that was so sweet and funny and in the matching the tone of the conversation that I just admired that a lot. So you asked me if I've ever done it. No, I'm just <laughs> I'm just <laughs> deferring to Genevieve as I often do. But like that was a moment where I was like, oh, that was good. She was able to say, you can call them women or whatever and kind of laughed about it. And like, you know, that was good. That was handled deftly. I love that. You can call us women. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. That's a beautiful layout. I do think that to the degree that maybe more uh, men are thinking about this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a new experience for me, certainly like to be like on an airplane or somewhere and some guy often will say something and it doesn't actually square with my worldview anymore. And I don't think I would have even noticed it or certainly I wouldn't have had the internal reaction to it that um, I have now, like if it was five years ago. And then I'm all of a sudden faced with this choice of like, what do I do? Which is something other people have been having to navigate for all, like the whole history of time is like, how do I, how do I respond in this situation? Do I try to make a point? Do I try to go along with this? Do, what is the best of three not good options here? <laughs> yeah. And again, getting back to like white male privilege, I think part of it for years has been literally never having that conversation internally because guys just say crappy things and you just kind of like you hope that you're not on tape uh you know a la billy <laughs> a bush literal billy bush <laughs> moment yeah exactly right. I, I, I we talked about this on the radio show uh, that you guys were on but i loved that episode of your show but i thought that was an interesting really way to get to this topic but i have more complicated feelings now when i hear uh people saying things that i don't agree with as far as how you know just the kind of pe stuff that people are saying in bars all the time mm -hmm. just about people of color or women or liberals or whatever and it just used to kind of go right past me and now i am i find it really off-putting because i think since the election in 2016 uh, uh it feels like those aren't just little comments people make but right. it's part of a larger worldview that i find to be very very threatening to the idea of this country and so now i'm like sitting in like a Tony Macaroni's in O'Hare going like, is this where I'm going to have it out with this guy who I will never see again? And again, right. that's just not something I ever was thinking about before. Hmm. Have, you, have either of you guys had to say anything to anyone yet about anything ever? <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Besides um, each other. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. talk, we well, talk that's actually, that's pretty amazing. You guys talk to each other about. Well, you know what? Like, Can I be better? honest? When we were, we were in Australia a couple weeks ago, we were driving for days and days and days. And this, you brought this up with me. I don't think you were referring to me earlier, but you said to me, hey, I've noticed that you say female person on the show a lot. Mm. And literally, we just had this conversation. It was not the show. And you, you were, I, I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but you were like really non-threatening with it. But you were just kind of like, are you doing that because you're trying to be careful? Which is what I was. Somewhere in my mind, I was so like not wanting to misgender someone or say something that was like just... Uh, assuming anything yeah. that I don't know female sounded more clinical or like I don't know it just seemed like the right thing to say and then I got in the habit of saying female person yeah and you just kind of brought it up and you were like I think that that's not coming off the way that you're intending for it to come off so I mean that was an actual conversation we had like two weeks ago but I also was straight up asking you as well that there was a possibility that you knew something I didn't about the vernacular because you've interviewed a lot more trans people, people who don't go by pronouns that are more traditional. So I wasn't sure if you knew something I didn't. So I did, I did also not. start by asking a question, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I didn't say like, Luke, you got to stop saying this. It's yeah, like, no, yeah. you did. You definitely, you, you, 
you came at it from a way that did not make me feel like judged or anything. Mm -hmm. But I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I am saying that. And it's definitely that's definitely not where I'm trying to go with it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. There was one time that um, and I was younger and probably more conservative in my thinking. It was probably around 20 years ago when I was getting my very first adult job after college. Um, it was in radio. It wasn't in the adult industry. I was an adult. <laughs> um, <laughs> just to be very clear about that. Thank you. Uh, it was a public radio job. And um, I was the the cub producer on a daily talk show that had three other people working on it. And those three people were all women. And they were awesome. I yeah. mean, just strong, cool, like role model-y women. Mm-hmm. And I remember my dad who is just the sweetest guy in the world. I love my dad. I'm not trying to pillory him here. But he had um, come around. I think he had, he had driven me from Ohio all the way to New Hampshire for my first job. We had this great bonding. It was, I think, more emotionally tolling on him than I had realized me moving yeah. so far away. And um, we, we, I introduced him to my new coworkers. And then later that day, and I'll never forget where we were, we had just pulled my 83 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme behind a U-Haul van for however many thousands of miles in the winter. It was nasty. Yeah. And so we're in line at the car wash, um, and I'm driving. I think he's in the passenger seat. And he said something about, oh, those girls I'm going to be working with. And I remember hmm. being probably too strident in my tone, but I said, they're not girls. Yeah. They're women. Like exactly. you're call- you're calling Mary Kruger a girl. <laughs> right. You meet her. You yeah. know, and, and like he's a female. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I remember at the time <laughs> being happy that I said something. I think it did land a little bit, because again, I think my dad tries to keep an open mind when possible. But I do kind of wish that I hadn't blown up, because that's not a good way to to get that across. But I was also, you know, I was 21 years old and pretty strident. So. Yeah. But I mean, also, you probably didn't, blow, I mean, what you thought was a blow up. Yeah. I mean, you were in a car wash. Did I probably you, said, did you get out of the car? <laughs> did you just sit <laughs> in that one spot buckled up really tightly I probably and said, raise your voice? Oh, bad, actually. <laughs> Yula, clearly you've met Andrew Walsh. Yes. <laughs> it was like, honestly, about maybe two months ago in our relationship, and we've known each other a long time now, that I realized that sometimes he'll describe some of his behaviors and, and like he always says he had too much to eat. And, I, mm. and then I realized I would look back on what we had actually consumed. And it was like he ate a totally normal amount of food for a person. Like he ordered a thing and then he ate it. And but then he would always be like, I ate too much. I ate too much. So now everything he says, like if it's he blew up, <laughs> or he ate too much, or he stayed up too late. I have to ask him, is this like a real thing or is this just your Andrew way of describing? It? Mm. How dare you undermine me? In this <laughs> oh, you're being right now. Sorry. <laughs> so, Andrew, you have talked about how you talked about how Genevieve, your partner, has played a big role in your sort of uh, change in terms of your way of thinking. Luke, you've made it clear that you have had a way. You have had a change in, in your way of thinking. You're cringing a little as I'm asking you this. What happened? <laughs> well, yeah, I feel inherently embarrassed about ever trying to present myself as, you know, the changed person or whatever, because I'm sure I still say and do a lot of things that I'll regret looking back on it, you know, just in terms Changing. of. Yeah, I'm in the process, I guess. And mm-hmm. I, uh, I think it honestly came down to meeting more people. Also, the the radio show that I do uh, thanks to our executive producer, Laura Haddon, there's a very intentional uh, thing behind the kind of guests that we put on the show. And yeah. we really try to put on 
uh, you know, people that are from marginalized communities. And and I have to say that, like, at the beginning of that process, sometimes I wondered, like, am I going to know what to ask about or how to talk about this stuff? And is it going to be weird? And am I going to be the bad guy, you know, in this interview or whatever? But it's really happened that over just getting to talk to more people and really just engage with more people who are from outside of my kind of white male world, um, that the very obvious and cliche thing about how really like universal we are as humans, everybody. Well, this is, this is actually probably also for me more about a journey of just seeing people in general. So for a lot of my life, I kind of was like the star of the movie of my life and everybody else in the movie was just kind of an extra in the background. And that was actually not even about race or, or gender as much as it was about my self obsession and like a big journey for me has just been seeing people generally. So I think that's applied to a lot of people in my life and also hopefully, you know, people who are, are marginalized and who I wasn't seeing, maybe they were even further in the background, Mm -hmm. but just in learning to like everyone you meet has hopes and dreams and is a person. Yeah. And like that applies, you know what I mean? So I think me connecting with that idea, it made it a little easier for me to bring everybody into that new world of co-stars in this movie. Mm-hmm. Do you wish you knew a little earlier? Yes, of okay. course. It would have been a better movie maybe? I wouldn't be on my second marriage. Oh, yeah, I feel you. I think about how I'm the opposite of that. I, I, I've told Jeannie this before. I have a sister who's like always been obese my whole life. And at like four, I knew that like people are treated differently based on how they look. And like really took that into like understanding like what a grocery store visit was like with her versus like with my sister who was like way slimmer. I feel like I've, I I so get off on meeting new people. It's like my favorite thing to learn more experiences and to widen my worldview. Do you feel like you're enjoying that now that you're like on that path? Yeah, because I know that it's not scary. And I know that it's like it's not like nobody's out to get me. Yeah. You know, in terms of like making me feel dumb or, or like, I, I mean, so yeah, the more you do anything, the less scary it becomes. And so now I actually really look forward to it. And, but it's, you know, it's, it's definitely taking a little time. Mm-hmm. For me, I always think too, like, then I feel like smarter in certain situations too. Like when I walk into, well, maybe it makes me feel more pompous too in some place. Because <laughs> that's like, when I walk into a place where like, you know, aisles are really tight, I think like immediately about people who are overweight and people who are in wheelchair accessible, you know, need wheelchair accessible spaces or just people who have like larger things. And so whenever I'm somewhere with tight feelings, I get like so anxious and my brain doesn't worry for me, it worries for them. Mm-hmm. And then if someone's around who works for the place, I can say pretty loudly how upset I am about it. But I won't like, go find them because let's be real whoever works at urban outfitters is not getting paid to rearrange these floor plans we had on the on the live wire radio show we we do this thing called the jar of truth mm-hmm. which yes. i think we had you guys do yeah. right and the show we were taping last night uh we had the comedian uh w kamau bell on the show and he was doing the jar of truth and we just put in these random silly questions right and the one he pulls out is is it ever okay under any circumstances to talk to a manager <laughs> which he had he was laughing his ass off and I realized oh there is a racial component Hell to this yeah. question that we Hell did yeah. not like that question had been in the jar for months yeah. yeah and he was explaining I mean this is one of those moments where it's like oh cool we got to learn something yeah. you know which is like there's a that's a whole thing that as a white guy I wouldn't have even now we just thought it was funny about like asking a manager seems kind of annoying mm-hmm. but it's like very much a thing in communities of color Mm -hmm. Um, that I learned about last night. And that was a moment where it was like, luckily I didn't feel like defensive. Like, oh, we messed up. I was just like, oh, hey, well, what can we learn about this right now? This question has gone in a direction we did not intend. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now let's find out. And now you know that if you and I are at Walgreens and we need to, was there another grocery store that is more universal? 
Is that too? Seattle? Walgreens is not. It's that's a nationwide thing. Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking it is. It's the oh, corner of happy of and healthy. What's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of Bartels on the corner, but I called it Walgreens. Ignore me. Um, but like, so if you are at, are at Walgreens and we're having an issue, at least now you know that you're the one that should ask for the higher up help. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's helpful. That's like tactical. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's a shopping tactic mm-hmm. for your racist <laughs> drugstore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. So before we move on too far, but I wanted to ask this one question. Do you guys see any benefits to eliminating sexism? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Do you see any of them for you? Pardon me? I'm so you, sorry you I wasn't any... making a video of your <laughs> Wait, face. No, I, you, I'm just trying to think. I'm trying not Wait to be second. glib, but I'm trying no, to make no, no, sure that okay. I understand the this question. This isn't a trap. It's okay. not a trap. No, 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 it's no, not no, a no, trap. No. Okay. Do you think there are benefits to ending sexism? Can you see how some of them would benefit you? Uh, oh, for me? Oh, finally, we're talking about what can benefit me. <laughs> yeah. Now. We're this getting is what down. I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. Right. I'm like, how can I get them in my pocket that their pocket is bigger? Without being too generic about this, I would say that I have a better appreciation now for having all kinds of different viewpoints in the workplace. Now, I only know radio because that's what I've worked in my entire life. And with that, it's a little bit more obvious, whether you're talking about the people who you're working with. Like, I have worked on shows where it's all a bunch of guys sitting around an editorial meeting in the morning, and we're making the decisions about what is going to be the news agenda for the day. Obviously, that's not good for the radio. Like, and I and there was a time when I didn't see that at all, yeah. right? And now I'm like, well, geez, Louise, don't you think we should have a woman like yeah. to, to talk about whatever issue it might be? Like, that's an important perspective. And that goes for, you know, not just gender, but, you know, race and, and, and not even gender and race, all kinds of other things like I was mentioning before about what world experiences you have. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's good for the overall good. And if I care about my job, which is broadcasting, then I guess that benefits me, too. <laughs> I have found that it is like a huge relief to just say, I'm really not the person that needs to be talking about that. Because, mm-hmm. like, and that's relatively new because I was doing talk radio for years, you know, hours and hours of live. And you're talking about the news. And if it uh, involves a, a, a woman or a person of color, like, I'm going to be given my opinion on it. And, like, what I find happening a lot uh, in conversations, particularly around the radio show that I do, is just something comes up and I'm just like, and, and in fact, uh, the producers of the of the radio show I do are women. And it's just a lot of times where I'm just kind of like, uh, you know, I'm the last person that should be saying anything about this. What do you guys think? And it's like, as opposed to feeling disempowering, it's just a relief. Yeah. It's like, oh, I don't have to I don't have to try to guess at this. Right. It's just like, hey, person who actually goes through this on a daily basis. I, I, I do this maybe not as much as I should, but I'll just sometimes ask if I'm about to like if there's a question that's I'm going to be posing to a woman guest. I will sometimes ask our producers, how does this sound? Like, is this not sound the way that I think it sounds? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, that's just, then I'm not like nervous asking the question later because I, because it could be, you know, kind of coming off differently than I intend it to. So I found it to be actually like a major relief to have people in my professional life who have had a different experience than me. Mm-hmm. You've both talked about being at work and what conversations look like and how they've changed over time. I feel like this is just it. This is an obvious. But like, have you ever been part of a conversation where you've seen a woman get talked over or dismissed or had an idea that was not credited to her? Mm. Have you ever seen we've yeah. like you've both listened to season one. We've talked about that dynamic. Mm-hmm. Can you think of a time where you've seen that at play? It's happened to my wife mm-hmm. a lot. 
like and she was in one uh, sort of creative partnership where she was working in in an industry where it was a lot of brainstorming going on and she would regularly come up with ideas and then the person that she worked with who is a man would regularly walk into rooms and pitch them as his idea yeah. and we would sit at home debating whether or not he was doing it intentionally or was actually had had like an aphasia and was forgetting what had happened. Yeah. So I, 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 and you know, to be honest with you, witnessing that from the perspective of somebody who I really love was like very like, you know, it really got to me. And, and it probably happened hundreds of times in my presence in professional circumstances where I didn't even know it was happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I can't think of a particular instance right now and I'm going back and I'm racking my brain. And if I'm being totally honest with you guys, I'm almost scared. The more my brain is churning on yeah. this, I'm wondering, first of all, how many times it happened right in front of me and I didn't see it. Yeah. And worse, how many times did I do it? You know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully not, but I'd be really surprised if I didn't at some point. I'm 42 years old. You know, I've been in a lot of editorial meetings. Yeah. I don't think that I've ever um, stolen anybody's idea necessarily, but certainly maybe um, talked over top of somebody. I don't know. I can't think of it. But again, it's like my brain is working really hard to think of an instance, but it's also kind of like, yeah, but do you want to do this, dude? <laughs> because... <laughs> I know. I'm like, I, I want your show to be a success, but I would be okay if this wasn't the most listened to episode <laughs> because I feel like many women who I've worked with will be like, oh, really? Yeah, Mr. Well, Mr. Uh, poster Child for How to Be an Ally. I can think of some examples, and they're probably right. But that's actually <laughs> probably the best person to like be creating change and having a conversation around it. You know, somebody who's like been on the side that most of these dudes have been on. Of like, I was not. I was sometimes standard by, and sometimes I was active. Right. And now I realize like like the jokes weren't as funny as I thought they were. Yeah. Maybe they were hurting people. And like, bruh, it's still funny on the other side. Yeah. Like. Now we can make fun of ourselves, and that's where the true joy comes from. Right, Andrew? My true joy comes from making fun of Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> Read my book, True Joy, the Andrew Walsh story. <laughs> true joy, parentheses, for someone else, not for me. Right. Colon, the Andrew Walsh story. Follow-up thought, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, what's the next question? There are these polls now that tell us, of, like, not polls, there are people and polls. I mean, people answering polls. Yeah, answering mm. polls and telling us like every time this stuff comes up to you. Um, that, so more than half of male managers feel uncomfortable mentoring women at work. So what do you guys think about that stuff? Again, as representatives of all straight white men. We are asking <laughs> for all straight cis white dudes right now. Are you guys feeling nervous in this basis? No, I'm not. You know, I've been thinking about this, and this is going to sound maybe boastful, but maybe it is something that I should be proud of. Like, I've never done anything or said anything that I know of. Mm-hmm. I've worked with you guys before, too, so let me <laughs> yeah. know if I'm wrong about this. <laughs> that should make any person, whether it's a woman or a guy, younger than me or older than me, uncomfortable. Like, I just don't do it. And if there was, if, if I was working with a young woman who was maybe, let's say, an intern or, you know, new at the organization, and she did call me out on something or maybe even tell my supervisor and say, hey, when Andrew said this thing uh, that didn't make me feel super comfortable, like I would be mortified, yeah. obviously. I don't think, I mean, who knows? I hope that I wouldn't be super defensive about it and be like, you can't say anything these mm-hmm. days because I like to think that on this like sort of, workplaces. what's that? We got to segregate these workplaces. Right, yeah, no, and, and I mean... 
you know, there are things in my professional career where I didn't maybe have enough of an eye towards these issues that we're talking about right now. And I'm thinking of some specific instances that I'm kind of really embarrassed about that I didn't stand up a little bit taller or raise my voice a little bit louder to correct some things. And I can like really tailspin on that if I just kind of internalize it. Um, but the only way I can get through those uh, guilt tailspins is by turning around and being like, the next time this happens, you've learned something from this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're all humans. We're not going to get it right all the time. But that's what I tell myself anyway. And I try to be that person. God, don't I? I'm just so in love with myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate hearing me say this stuff. No, I, I mean, I think that way, too. So, I mean, yeah. we make mistakes all the time. We're asking you. Yeah. If you just didn't say anything, this would, <laughs> no, be, that would be bad. awkward taping. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to be self-congratulatory, but I'm also trying to be honest. Mm -hmm. That's fair. That's I fair. Think, I think that the so much of the stuff that's come out recently, and I guess you could sort of attach it to the Me Too movement, but just the conversation about how frequently women are subjected to unwanted attention and advances like within a professional environment is shocking yeah. to <laughs> men, yeah. not to women, obviously. And uh, that's been so eye-opening to me over the last couple of years because for whatever reason, and, and uh, you know, again, if somebody is listening to this and you had a different experience, I'm definitely opening to hearing uh, what your experience was. But for whatever reason, I think that I have I, I've I've not that has not been something that's ever even really occurred to me, I think. to And, and I don't even know if implied in your question was being weird towards females or is it just the question? Not do you females. feel comfortable? I'm chickens. See, I'm still doing it. <laughs> Goats. I have I have mentored so many chickens in my <laughs> career, Eula. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, the question was like, do we feel uncomfortable uh, or around maybe mentoring women? Yeah. What do you um, think about that idea? Like, right? There's there's this new thing of like, well, if every woman is going to come forward with uh, harassment allegations, then we may maybe I shouldn't be around one because how do I know if I'm going to harass her? Because like, yeah, it makes I don't me even vulnerable know how not to, to that kind her, of accusation. You know, I just she feel has like to harass. I feel like it's really something that you can control as a male. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, and also it turns out that bitches don't be crazy. Right. Like most of the time. Like this idea that We're talking about dogs now? Yeah. Female <laughs> you know, dogs. This idea that like any anybody uh could just accuse you of something for no reason at any time right. is just such it's just so not supported by the facts. And like I feel very, very confident that I will go through my life only getting accused of things I've actually done. Right. <laughs> and there are plenty of those. And there are a lot of those, even within this interview. So so I, so I actually feel very comfortable, um, you know, to the degree that my work life overlaps with women, maybe women who are younger than me. I just feel like it's within my control of, of, of what energy I'm putting out towards them. And I trust them to... Uh, not make some weird thing up related to me because that's just not how people's brains operate usually. You right. Know? Yeah, you're so right. Yeah. I, at least I think you're right. Okay, so you have both, Andrew, you specifically, mm. I believe you used the, the term guilt tailspin, mm -hmm. that you would go into a guilt tailspin if you thought about some of this stuff too long. Is any is that useful? Like a guilt tailspin, regret, any of that? Like when it comes to thinking about who you might have been in the past and how you want to be now? Is that useful at all? 
I'm mostly yeah. asking somebody who went to Catholic school for 12 years. Yeah. Like, is there any use to having guilt? <laughs> right, right. Like, I also went to Catholic school. So. I know. Help me out yeah. here. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. I, I think, again, the only way that I can handle my guilt when I'm in those <laughs> dark moments is by thinking, all right, Walsh, you can't change the moments that have already happened. All you can do is have a modicum of control over the things that are going to happen. And so if I can take lessons from that, and just, even if it's a, a simple mantra as don't be that guy, and if that guy was this guy, mm -hmm. like that's the best I can do, I think. And I definitely, I mean, as we keep on coming back to, like I have changed a lot in my, let's say in the last 30 years, well, let's even say 25 years. I've changed a lot from the person I was, and I like the person I am today more than the person I was before. So hopefully um, things will continue to, you know, follow this trajectory and I continue to learn things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about you? Do you think regret is useful in this regard? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ask yourself this. Would you rather be dealing with somebody who feels overly guilty about things they've done or who feels no guilt Mm, yeah. Like the second person is a possible sociopath. Yeah. You know, and of course there are recursive and intrusive thoughts around guilt that are not helpful to a person's just sense of well-being in the world. But I do think that reflecting on the things that, I mean, I, I don't even actually want to get into it because it's still a little fresh for me, but like I'm reflecting on something I did last night during the sound check of our radio show. And I'm just like, it, it's been kind of like just kind of banging around in my head uh, you know, all morning and I'm just still kind of processing it and like hopefully I will I will process it and then send it back out into the universe in like an appropriate amount of time. So like two years from now, if it's still with me, that is <laughs> too much time. Right, right. But if I learn from it and I and I and I kind of like actually behave a little differently next time, then um, then maybe that was useful. Hmm. It was absolutely useful if that if that happens. Mm -hmm. I fully thought you were going to say two years is an appropriate amount of time. Yeah. And that resonated with me. Right. <laughs> I know. Well, I was like, that seems short. Well, that's yeah. funny. This is the difference between Andrew and I. When I was describing those two people, somebody who feels a lot of guilt and somebody who doesn't feel guilt, I am much more on the doesn't feel guilt side of it. And Andrew, I think, if I could say, I think you definitely ruminate on things sometimes. Mm -hmm. And you're a better person and a nicer person than me. Mm. So this is an example of the two ways of being in the world. And let me tell you, you want to hitch your wagon to the Andrew pony. <laughs> I don't mm -hmm. think more than the Luke pony. But no. why, do, why don't you have guilt? Do you feel like it's because, like, um, in the end you're likable? I think it's probably residual narcissism. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. kind of residual my experience being the most important thing in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, but, I, I mean, that's all I could attribute it to. As I, yeah, I just, I kind of, I mostly am just interested in whatever is kind of making me feel okay in this moment. It doesn't leave a lot of room for thinking about something that happened 15 or 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I don't think 15, 20 years in my past, but like one time I called like Ross the wrong name at like a coffee shop and thought about it for a day. Mm. And then oh, yeah. Like, and then like told every person that, you know, if it came up while I was thinking about it, I would have said it out loud. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But then the next time I saw Ross, I was like, I'm really, really, really sorry. And like, he of course was like, didn't care, didn't notice, don't even think about <laughs> you that much. But, <laughs> wow, that turned quickly. <laughs> no. yeah. But you know, but I, but I get the idea of- Are like, you talking about a coworker of ours named yeah, Ross? Mm -hmm. Okay. But um, I think the idea is like, for me, I want to be liked so badly. Like, but I do have really narcissistic like ways about me, for sure, for sure. But the end result is like, he won't like me if I was a terrible person to him. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they'll they remember me in a way they probably won't remember you because you look like that one white dude 
<laughs> but I look like you look. <laughs> but did that still ultimately, it seems like, for me when I do that kind of stuff, it's real silly. It's still really ultimately about me, mm-hmm. like me wanting to control other people's feelings about me. Mm-hmm. So I might feel I, maybe part of why I feel bad about what happened last night was because I'm thinking about the people that I talk to and if they're thinking bad thoughts about me right now, mm-hmm. which is still ultimately about me. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, not to turn this into like a I assume this it's will all be book. edited out anyway. But it's about you know, me. Right. So <laughs> maybe for me, the journey is also getting to the point where I'm not only thinking back on things that I regret because someone might have a bad opinion about me and think back on things where I might have actually just made someone feel bad. And that's enough for me to take a moment to really think about it. Mm. Hmm. That's a beautiful tactic. The idea of wanting people to like you, you just said that that is something that plays into your thinking, right? Andrew, I'm guessing, because I've also known you for a long time, that that's also something that matters to you. Yes. So in those moments perhaps not explicitly Billy Bush moments, but lesser Billy Bush moments. I can say for me, because I've also been in those Billy Bush moments, that I have a little war with myself about the right thing to say or anything to say versus wanting to make sure that everybody in the room still likes me. It's entirely possible if I speak up, I will piss off one or more people because I've said the wrong thing, because I'm misinterpreting what's happening for a whole host of reasons. Whereas if I say nothing, I reduce the likelihood of that happening. I realize this is a very long example. I am wondering if that calculus is ever something that shows up in your heads in those moments. Those are extraordinarily tense moments for me anyway. So I'm wondering if if that idea of wanting to be liked plays into Silence. when you decide to speak up versus not. You may not care about what the guy at the macaroni grill thinks in O'Hare, but it oh, happens in other places. Okay. Believe me too. <laughs> me too. I, I can't yeah. I mean, I, I historically have spent a lot of my time in dive bars. Like, <laughs> I just like dive bars. <laughs> and those are not traditionally hotbeds for progressive thinking. Mm. And there have been many times where I'm kind of hitting it off with someone. You know, we're just like, what I like about going to a dive bar is often I'm interacting with people that are from a totally different part of the world way of life way of thinking than myself and I find something really particularly when you add in alcohol in the mix I find it to be very like bonding with humans and then a lot of times that human will say something about the news or about Obama or about whomever and it does not scan with my view of the world and now this beautiful moment is about to be ruined and I will definitely admit to like either being quiet about that or or sort of low-keying it. Hmm. Well, maybe not everybody feels that way. (laughs) (laughs) In the interest of being liked, you know? So, yeah, I definitely have done that a lot. Yeah. I think you're going to laugh at this because guilt goes both ways. I Now now if you you don't laugh, I'm really in trouble. (laughs) Um, Luke brought up drinking in bars where you will often maybe meet people um, who aren't of the same mindset of yours or the same worldview. And I did challenge a guy in my local watering hole probably about a year ago, yet I feel guilty about the way I challenged him there. Mm. And I'll, I'll tell you the story. Um, Were you it, right? What's that? Were you right? I was right. Mm, damn. I'll t- but I was obnox- I think I got obnoxious, too. And this is where I think it comes to, like, how you choose your message. So there's a little neighborhood bar right by my house that is, like, my little cheers. I love it so much. I know that there's little gangs in there. I know the people. Uh, one day, somebody who was in there introduced me to a friend who I think maybe was visiting. And he was a really sweet guy. We start talking about various things. And then somehow... The whole, 
just can't say anything anymore kind of thing came up, right? Mm-hmm. I don't remember what triggered it, but that's kind of that's kind of w- what he was putting out there, just kind of like, you got to be so careful. And I was just like, well, there were a bunch of words that people used to use, and we don't use them anymore. Is the world a worse place for that? And I got into this thing where I kept saying, what words do you want to use? What do you want to use? Use it. Just use the words. You're allowed to use those words and we can judge you. Just say it. What are the words you want to yeah. use? And I went, well, again, I don't know if you trust my personality, if I was just being much more timid than I'm pretending I was. But at the time, I felt like I would not let it go. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of kept saying that in a monoxious way. I don't think I won him over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just yeah. kept saying, what do you want to say? What words have we deemed unacceptable that you want to say right now? Because you can say it. And I can judge you for that. But I don't know. I, again, it's a bar. You mix some alcohol in there, too. I'm probably not at my most articulate in those moments. And so <laughs> there's a there's a situation where maybe I should be glad that I did say what I wanted to say and what I believe is to be the truth, yet I feel guilty for maybe not doing it in the best way possible. Hmm. So I mean I don't I don't think there's a right way to say the truth. I think that it has to come out sometime at some you know, sometime somewhere. And so when it comes out it's just valuable to be that it was heard. That's a tough one. There are so many moments that we stay far away from each other as humans because we just are kind of like, we can't get quite over this little weird, awkward hump of the other person <laughs> judging us. Yeah. And and we think they don't want to talk to us or they think that we're not cool or whatever it is. And usually the person on the other side of this self-created divide is having the same thoughts. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So. So really quickly, we're going to imagine that, you know, white men are listening to the show in part because like you two are on it and like they know who you are. We're big with white men. We like that. We like that. This is our one play for that audience, honestly. <laughs> that's what the this two is of about. you. We'll put yeah. it on, we'll put it on the various, I know. On the various right. websites. We do have medals for you both for talking about all this <laughs> stuff. So there's that. They're safety pins. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what do you say to them to inspire them to be the best, like wokest white guys they can, you know, to act better, to be less Broy, not be that guy, you know. Inspire, my friends. Inspire. Yeah, this is your uh, yes. soapbox. I would say, and I'm kind of, I hope I'm not stealing your thunder here, Luke, because this is something that you've brought up a lot today, but I think the defensiveness thing is huge. Um, don't be defensive. And I'm telling myself that too, by the way, obviously. Um, I think that whenever we hear any kind of criticism or even just feedback, we can just automatically lock up and just be like, that's not me. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I, I know it's going to happen to me some more. It's going to in those moments, but at least try to minimize those moments. Keep an open mind. If you are feeling that way, shut the hell up in the moment. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> Give yourself a couple of days because I know speaking for myself, two or three days later, I'm going to come around. I'm yeah. going to see it. I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, I see that now. My husband's it's a strategy is exactly Yeah, that. same thing. Mm-hmm. It's just like in the moment. And like I'm I'm kind of – I get that way. Luke has seen me. I don't know to what degree you're willing to say that, but like I will – um, Luke and I kind of in a work environment agree on almost everything when we're working together but every now and then you might be like hey let's skip that or let's do that differently and I know there's a part of my brain that's like it's fine or <laughs> if it was your idea we'd, we'd do it I don't mm-hmm. really think that way Luke but anyway there is a part of my brain but then later on you're like oh yeah no that's just better better for the show in the case that I'm giving now and if you can be that way with the issues that matter good on you mm-hmm. I, would, I would echo what Andrew said in that even though it's a little hard to do, if you if you can just try to hear what people are saying, not as a reflection on you specifically, like 
you are a racist because of institutional racism, or at least you're not actively trying to, you know, be a racist or a sexist or a homophobe or whatever it is. But uh, as a white person, uh, you have benefited from a system that has done a lot of that. It doesn't mean that you got up in the morning and tried to be a bad person, but it but it does mean that some of those benefits have accreted to you. Mm-hmm. But to try to just not be super defensive. And then the other thing that I've only recently started to think about is like, if a bunch of people are talking about something, it's probably because it's meaningful to them. Hmm. <laughs> like, it's not a mass delusion. Like, right. when there's something that is being presented as an experience by a bunch of people that are different than me, and it's not something I can relate to because it's, like, not my experience, it's, like, like I, I thought that I probably had at some point in my life about black people would be, like, does it always have to be about race? Mm-hmm. Like, does it have to be so much about race? Mm-hmm. And what I realized one day was, like, you know when it will stop being about race when it's not a big deal anymore? <laughs> I would love to not talk about race. Right. Oh, I would. I, if racism wasn't a thing, I'd be a comedian. And I'd be so good at it. <laughs> but instead, I just have to, like, everything, every punchline ends with, like, my my, <laughs> my race. <laughs> Sorry, I'm rolling because, but so because of that, it, every punchline ends with racism and as like the punchline, and so then it's hard to like be like, even want to go into the world of funny when in reality I want equity more than I want like to make you laugh. But I'll do both, I guess. People will stop talking about a topic when it stops being a thing. Yeah. So if it's being talked about, it's a thing. Mm-hmm. So let's like try to understand the thing and try to make it not such a thing. You know. Mm-hmm. So and that the nice thing about that is that it relates to things that you don't understand, like as like a white straight man, some experience that sounds totally foreign to you. And it's just like but you know that if it's being discussed a lot, it's because it means something to people. And so I'm you know, again, I'm not saying that I am nailing this kind of thought process all the time, but it's that's a new way of looking at it for me, too, which has kind of made me, I don't know, just I think better able to process information and feedback that I'm getting. Luke Burbank and Andrew Walsh, we have kept you in here for four years. Mm-hmm. You've both changed. We've all changed so much in these four years. Thank you so much for talking with us. And thank you for bringing us an audience that we didn't know we could ever have. <laughs> Straight cisgender white people. Thank Come you on. for having us on. It was really an honor. I really enjoyed it. It was less scary than I thought it was going to be. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. I was nervous about this, too. Mm-hmm. Were you nervous? Oh, I'm still shaking. Yeah. <laughs> You're all nervous. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace is an independent podcast. Our senior producer is Kyle Norris, and our show is mixed by Bethany Denton. Our production partner is Studio 2B Seattle. This podcast was co-founded in partnership with KUOW Puget Sound Public Radio and the University of Washington. We were inspired by the book Feminist Fight Club by Jessica Bennett. Our music is by Kessia Gordon, and our brand design is by Tio. You can find Teo on Instagram at T-E-O dot underscore Dora, which is spelled D-O-R-A. And huge, massive, gigantic, big, big thanks. Big, big. To Phyllis Fletcher, Bree Ripley, and Dana Bialik. Thank you all so much. You can get in touch with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at BTSW Podcast or by emailing btswpodcast at gmail.com. And if you love the show, help us make it. Patronize us. Become a patron at patreon.com slash btsw. And as long as you're at your computer or your phone, please take a moment to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And then tell a friend about our show. 
word of mouth is actually the biggest way our audience grows, which is extremely cool. Mm-hmm. All right, you guys. Keep fighting the good fight. Bye, everyone. Bye. Talk to you soon. 